My gosh. Well, it ain't, it ain't weirdo. Me. It ain't meat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, chew the fat with that's, someone. That's super weird. You're, just, you're talking with them. Nobody says that anymore. That's like like 1925 called. They want their phrase back. So. They can't have it. I, I, it's, okay, I, Micah, you're chewing the fat now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Welcome to the Jesus, Sex, and Politics podcast. I'm Micah. And I'm Nathan. And here we talk about all those things that culture doesn't want to talk about. That'll scare you. Micah, we have... What the... Hey, that was me. That was me pouring some Rush Limbaugh into this, right? All right, now, Micah. Yes. There's been a big announcement. Yes. That you have made. It's been all over the radio, but you know... A lot of people aren't right here in Indianapolis that listen to Jesus, Sex, and Politics. They're from all over the country. That's right. And around the world. Amen. And so they may not have heard this great announcement. Micah, do you have something today you wish to announce? I want to announce that Nathan Peternell's rash is completely healed. (laughs) (laughs) Wait. Was that not? Was that not it? I, I told you that before the show. You weren't supposed to share that. <laughs> uh, the uh, big announcement was uh, on Monday. I announced that I am running for Indiana's lieutenant governor, and we kicked off with a bang. It's been amazing. The outpouring, the support from around the state. Uh, it, it's night and day difference, Nathan. Like running for Congress when no, when you didn't have any name ID, like you got to you gotta kind of claw your way in for people to even just notice you. But this time, because of what God's done at Life Church and just how the platform has increased as far as speaking out on political issues, we announced for Lieutenant Governor, and it was like media outlets galore were just like running stories on it. And, and it's outside the box, and we can get into that in, in another uh, episode. But... We're, we're kind of skirting the typical, uh, you know, establishment power brokers. We're not, we're not allowing them to anoint necessarily who they want. We're actually going to the delegates and saying, delegates, you pick who you think is best. And, and people are loving the idea. So we're off and running. It's, well, and it, yeah, it hasn't been done in 37 years. This yeah, thir- 31 years. 31 uh, years. Yeah, it was uh, 1992 when the delegates, re- and it wasn't even a race. It was just the delegates got to the convention and said, we don't like the guy that the candidate picked. And they rejected that that person and put somebody else in. And so it wasn't even really a race. So I can't remember the last time that there's actually been a race for the lieutenant governor. It probably have to go back to the 70s or the 60s to find that. So, But in modern political history, you don't run for lieutenant governor. You always get anointed. But that is not good because then there's no check and balance in the executive branch. And we like the last four years was a great example on why this should not happen this way because the, the gov- governor Holcomb had no accountability. Yeah. And uh, it, it's because the LG, and I like her. I mean, we've had her on the podcast, but she really felt she couldn't speak out against Governor Holcomb because she was, quote unquote, appointed by him. And we don't want someone appointed. We want somebody who is picked by the people to go in and be that check and balance. Well, and it gives yeah. delegates the voice. And we will share more about this in the episodes to come because today we have a great show. So less about you, Micah. Yes. And more about our I guests. wasn't even going to say anything. Well, I was yes, like, you did. Uh, you were practically twisting so, my arm. That's not That's not true at all. Come on, That's man. not true. <laughs> I thought that was the wrong one. I was, trying, I was looking for the mute button or the uh, the cuss button. So try that. Say that again. No, no. I- <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, in the studio today on Jesus, Sex, and Politics, we have two great guests, an amazing story on why government tyranny is a is, is we have to fight it tooth and nail. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. The nine most terrifying words in the English language, according to Ronald Reagan, and he was right. But we have with us in the stu- in the studio, Mr. Stephen King. Hello. And uh, he's not the author. No. This is a different Stephen King. Yes. Uh, and then our good friend, John Noe. Uh, John, say hello. Hello. <laughs> well, Stephen, it's great to have you guys. Yeah, it's it's so good to have you guys on the podcast. We want to um, we we wanted to bring you in because you were telling us your testimony. You have been through the ringer over the last two years, and I want people listening to this to understand why Nathan and I are so passionate about defending constitutional values. Because if we don't. We see exactly what happened to you, and and share your story a little bit. I won't give it away, but this is going to be a really intense uh, episode because your life was, if it wasn't for the grace of God, your life would have been completely ruined, without yes, a doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, give us give us a, the story there. Well, Stephen. first first of all, I'm not interesting till I tell you why. Okay. So <laughs> a little bit about me. Yeah. Two things. First of all, I, being a patriot, being looking the Constitution, most people don't know that what a patriot is. There is a thing called the United Three Percent United Patriots. It's a countrywide organization, and they have each state has its own chapter. I am the chaplain for the Three Percent United Patriots of Indiana. And so, as, three, and not to okay. stop you, but Three Percent comes from the term in the Revolutionary War, where it was 3% of the colonists were the ones that actually rose up and took on the, yes. the fight for freedom. And right. so it was only 3%. Right. And they were able to rally the rally against the British. And, and when, so that's kind of where that 3% sure. comes from. Yeah. Now, some patriot groups, especially some that grab the 3% name, have been some not-so-great people. But we were basically what I would call a constitutional guard. Were the people, if you remember the Bundy Ranch, you remember yeah. shooting the cattle, yeah. Oh, yeah. the guys that showed up on horseback, yeah. Yeah. the guys with the American flags and the AR-15s, uh-huh. that, yeah. that was the 3% United Patriots. The okay. okay. Having said that, <clears throat> now I'm also considered a terrorist because Facebook said all the face, all the <laughs> patriot groups are, are terrorists and they That's shut right. us all down. <laughs> now, second thing that makes me maybe interesting is that my friend John Noe here has got a ministry that I fully support. And one of the things that I wanted to do was get him more exposure. So I came alongside him and helped him get a channel started on YouTube called Greater Than We Believe. And the purpose of that ministry is basically to promote Jesus and the kingdom. Jesus is greater than we could possibly give him credit for. Amen. So we've been doing that for three and a half years, got 189 videos posted. And you guys are filming today yes. in the Jesus, Sex, and Politics studio. Yes. And so if, you want, if you're listening, go to Greater Than We Believe on YouTube. Yes. I'm surprised YouTube hasn't kicked you guys off yet. That may happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I keep backup copies of all the things. <laughs> Uh, that's great. Yeah, so yeah, greater than we believe. Okay. okay. I have an interesting uh, past. I've, I've been in law enforcement. I was a reserve police officer in Cumberland, Indiana, many, many years ago, about 40 years ago. Um, anyway, I've always had a, an interest in our Second Amendment, and I've also always liked guns. And like any God-fearing, red-blooded American, I always like to buy, sell, and trade. Buy a gun here, buy a gun there. You know, if I get tired of it, I don't have money for the next gun, just... Just yep. sell it, you know. Yep. So um, there is something online. People are familiar with Craigslist. 
there you can't sell guns on Craigslist, so they have a Craigslist for guns. They call it armslist.com, nice. and it's legal. It's in all 50 states. As long as you uh, stay with the federal and the state laws, you can post a gun for sale. You can buy guns. It's, it's all normal and above board, and I'm not going to say no. There's never any nefarious activity, but you do everything you can to keep it from happening, and so I got to the point where I was buying and selling a few guns here and there, and it got to be a hobby. And as time went on, um, I must have garnered the attention of the certain right people because I ended up being um, um, raided <laughs> by the ATF one morning at 7 o'clock at September 3rd, 2020. Woke up out of my bed with flashlights on my eyes, um, SWAT team in there, they all heavily armed and basically had to... I'm glad that I, my wife told me that the police were in there because if not, if I'd have just been woke up with flashlights, I did have my gun next to me yeah. on my bed, so that could have been a problem. Yeah. Now, did they did they kick in your door? Like, how did they get in? Fortunately, they didn't do that. They banged on the front door, ladder up. My wife thought it was someone, her son, coming to, early in the morning. It was seven o'clock in the morning. Okay. And she went and opened it for him, and they announced who they were, showed her the search warrant, and let themselves in that way. Wow. So um, I looked at him. I didn't know what was going on. So I said, am I under arrest? They said, no, you're not under arrest. We just have a search warrant. And they wanted to, so they took me in my kitchen. I offered them coffee, by the way. (laughs) And uh, they told me that they were checking for gun activity and so forth and so on. And as the story unfolded, um, they wanted to know if I would help them with a, an investigation they had going on in, Cal- in Chicago. And uh, I had sold a gun, to, actually a couple guns, to somebody that had ended up selling to someone else that ended up in Chicago. And so Southside Chicago is always blaming Indiana oh, yeah. for all their gun problems. Yeah, right. yeah. So like, I says, well, of course I'll help yeah, you. Yeah. I'm a good guy. <laughs> that was mistake number one. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I just, you know, I didn't have anything to hide. Yeah, right. You're just, so, and, yeah. And um, having been an ex-police officer, and I believed in the law and everything. And and, uh, and that's why I asked them if I was under arrest. And they said, well, no. You know, so when they asked me, uh, I said, do I need a lawyer? He says, well, do you have anything to hide? Did you do anything wrong? I said, no. He says, well, then, I mean, you can have a lawyer. What, what would you need one? You're not under arrest. So I said, okay, fine. So anyway, uh, long story short, I showed them how I kept my records. I was very detailed. Anytime I bought a gun from someone, I would take pictures of the gun, pictures of the serial number. I would write myself an email, and I would send it to myself so that I have a record of not only that purchase, but the name of the person I bought it from, their address, their phone number, any information I had on them so that if it ever showed up maybe as a stolen gun or something and and they, they, they followed the chain of command and found that I had had it, I could tell them where I bought it. Same went true with anybody I sold a gun to. I t- said right there in my ads, uh, no, no minors, no felons, no, no shipping it, you know, face-to-face only, cash only, all this other stuff. And um, so I had people usually which flash their pink card here in Indiana. We, our, our carry card yeah. is pink. And so we'd say, if you got a pink card, and I'd glance at their driver's license, make sure they lived in the state. And I'd, I'd always, when they would drive up, I'd write down their license plate number, and I'd also keep record of the text, the their phone number, and, and the email address if I'd had correspondence. So I had a very good way of knowing who I bought from and who I sold to. And so they asked, how do you do? I told them it was by, e- by emailing myself. And he says, well, would you mind if we use that so we can track some of these guns? I said, absolutely not. Go right ahead. Mistake number two. Yes. <laughs> I gave them my passwords. I gave them all the stuff they needed to get to it. 
Wow. They didn't have to take my computers. They took all the. They took four computers, which, by the way, I still never have gotten back, even though they said they'd give them back. Yeah, yeah. But wow. uh, the uh, they left, and they called me uh, a few weeks later and said that they now had enough information to indict me for selling the the, the charges a nine twenty two a, which is uh, dealing in firearms without a federal firearms license. And so the, at that point in time, I had to get rid of the guns. I still, I still had, they left my personal guns, but they took all the other stuff I had. I had to get rid of all the ammunition, guns, everything I, you know, oh that was related. And uh, I, I hired an attorney and I was. Which was Guy Relford, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah the gun guy from yeah. WIBC. Yeah. Yep. He's, a, he's a very likable guy. Yeah. I figured if anybody knows his business, Guy good, knows it. You he's know? a good, so, uh, yeah, good, yeah. good and, and second very, amendment. Very personable guy. Yeah. And when I was in, met with him in his office and talked with him, he's uh He's every bit as nice as he is in, oh, yeah. online. He's, yeah. he's the real deal, yep. and I really care for him. So we, right, right at the beginning of COVID, that's when everything was being shut down. So we never, ever went to court. The only time I actually went to court was at the end when they were actually going to do the sentencing after I pleaded guilty. They said, you know, if you'll plead guilty to this, we'll drop something else. And it was, I was like, I, I can't lie. I didn't think I was selling breaking a law now you told me you said they got you for dealing without a license right but didn't you call them and ask them how many guns because you can yes. buy and sell without right. a license you right. don't have to you don't have to have a license right. but it's the amount of guns right. that you sell is what denotes whether or not you need a license right. correct i actually went online i had a friend that actually wrote them a letter and uh he was on a gun group that i was on a long time ago and and he had i had a copy which i don't have any more of the, on their letterhead uh, explaining that there is no number of guns if you go online to the atf and see try to see how many guns does it take to, to, to where you have to have a license like if you want to sell used cars in indiana after you sell a certain amount, you got to get a dealer's license. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's the same way as the ATF. But they, but at this point, they don't put a number. They said it's at their discretion. That's incredibly stupid. So you could sell five guns. You could sell fifty guns. However many you want to sell. At some point, if you get on their radar and they decide to, wow, they can just say that oh. would be like that would be like saying there's no speed limit signs posted. Mm -hmm. We don't really have a law for what the speed limit is. We just tell the police officers to pull people over based on your discretion. Yeah. If you think they're going too fast, just give them a just ticket. Just give them a ticket. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. That's literally insane. Yeah. Okay, so carry on. Well, and so that's that was the that was the beauty of it always is that guy, my attorney, my gal, guy, attorney guy Relford, not to not this wasn't a pun, but it came out sounding like a pun. He says, "Steve, you shot yourself in the foot." Uh -huh. <laughs> because he said the the only way they could prosecute me was they had to have all kinds of proof about every gun I bought, every gun I sold, all sort of stuff. That's like, and so if you and, wouldn't have kept records, right, right. you this would have never happened right. to you. The only oh reason they could prosecute me was because they had all these evidence <laughs> that I provided them, and I would not have tried. To, I would not have destroyed the records or anything. I just kept it because I wanted to be a good guy. I wanted to be a law abiding. Yeah. I wanted to make sure. And if, if anything ever came up, I can so oh, I did my due diligence. Yeah, right. You know? And right. unfortunately, that also gave them everything they needed to, to go after you. Yeah. And so Jeez. when they said plead guilty to this and and we'll you know do that. I said, well, and I told Guy, I said, listen, I'm not a liar. I said, I did sell the guns. I sold that. I think that what the, in, the, in, the, in the charge, what they used for sentencing was 24 guns. 
I've got, I sold more than that over a four-year period, but 24 is what they were concentrating on. So I said, I that can't, is low. I can't plead yeah, not that's guilty. Not, that is a really low number of guns. I was, I was expecting you to say some obscene number of guns. That's not a very in, big... In four years, I sold 167 guns, but you spread that over four years, that's not that many. Yeah. That's but, two guns a month. But what was interesting was, though, is that they... The, uh, what was I saying? The 24 guns is what they used, yeah. and that's how they used it for sentencing. Well, God told me going on, and obviously no attorney can tell you exactly what a judge is going to do. Yeah, right. In a state case, uh, the attorney and the prosecuting attorney and the judge can all sit in the judge's chambers, and they can talk the case out and decide what kind of deal they want to make, and they all agree on it, and they all sign off on it. Then your attorney comes back and says, here's what they're going to do for you if you do this. Then the, basically the rest of it, you go before the judge, and he already knows what he's going to do, and you know if you're going to go to yeah, prison. Jail or, or, yeah, right. right. So uh, at that point, they don't do that on federal level. Oh, man. You basically, if you try to fight something on a federal level, they're going to find a way to put you away for a lot of years. They, they, they put charges against me that weren't even right. They could have put me away for 100 years. Wow. But wow! All they were doing was trying to scare me. Yeah, because they just wanted—they wanted me for this, and and it could have been anywhere from one to five years in prison. And the way they ended up using uh, the twenty-four guns, they they did some addition and everything, and they basically said, "Okay, we can hit you for eighteen months for those those twenty-four guns." And what was interesting was guy had really he he didn't say I wouldn't go to prison. He said, I, "This is you're not the kind of guy." you know, that's going to go to prison. Uh, I'm, I'm now 67. I was 66 at the time. Um, I have health issues. I'm on medications. Um, I'm an ex-police officer. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm a good guy. Yeah. You know, I'm not perfect, but I'm okay. Yeah. You know? and so, like as far as your record goes, you would be the kind of the picturesque example of a citizen of a good citizen i would thought so yeah 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 so he told me that more than likely he said if they're trying to make a point or something like that they might slap me on the wrist and give me probation or or some restrictions or maybe even wear an ankle bracelet at home for six months just to make a point or yeah. whatever you know but once again i'm not saying he made any promises i'm just saying he didn't expect anything i didn't expect anything but once i the whole time this was going on even though i didn't expect to have a problem I prayed about it, which all people should do when you got problems. Pray about it. And my hero is Jesus. And my hero, Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before the next day when he went to the cross, as a man sweating blood, he asked the Father, he said, let this cup be taken away from yeah. me. And, but then he said, not my will, but your will be done. And he said that three times. And so, I mean, obviously I'm saying, God, I don't want to go to prison, you know. But... Not my will, your will be done. And so we ended up going to court. Uh, all we, that was the only time I ever went inside the building. And uh, the judge was, heard everything. We did a lot of political stuff. What uh, was her name? Do you remember? Stinson Magnuson or something along that is line. She's from, is she down in Marion County? She is uh, in the Southern District, a federal judge in Southern okay. District. And right. it was, uh, we were downtown. I'm not sure where she is. Yeah. But, um, what was interesting was that, that yeah that, that yeah. name is uh, here in the new I have the newspaper okay okay yeah is uh, Jane Magnus Stinson there you go Jane Magnus Stinson yeah. just for the listeners because yeah. this is important because yeah she's a far left radical judge so yeah yeah so go well Je guy just said Steve just be honest yeah um, say you're guilty 
because you are. I mean, you're, you're admitting you're guilty. I sold yeah. some guns. Yeah, yeah, so why would I say no? And then just ask for the mercy of the court and see what she does, how much mercy she's got. And so once they had said all the things they're supposed to say, reading this, all the charges and all this other stuff, she said, do you have anything to say? So I, I stood up and said, yes, ma'am. I said, I, I take full responsibility. I says, I did what, what I, I said I did. I sold the guns. I did make the caveat that I didn't think it was illegal. I didn't think I was breaking the law. I said, but I know that ignorance is no excuse. Ignorance of the law. So I said, I'm just asking that you have mercy on me, and please keep in mind that I'm a, a 66-year-old man with health issues. And I was done, and I sat down, and I felt pretty good about that. And the guy even kind of looked at me and nodded like, that was good. You did good. And then she did all of her things she had to say legally, went back over the case again, basically. She had given the prosecutor a chance to make her point, and the prosecutor kept saying how the, me selling guns was the reason why we had so much gun violence in America today. Wow. And so when wow. it was the judge's turn to talk, she basically parroted. She said the exact same thing again. She actually said, she looked at me and said that you're, she didn't say you are one of, she said you're the reason we have so much gun violence in America today. Oh, my gosh. And so then it was time for her to make a decision, and she uh, looked at me, and parroting what I had just said to her earlier, she said, I don't care if you are a 66-year-old man with medical issues. She says, and then she pointed at me. When she pointed, I got a little scared. She said, I'm going to make an example out of you. And then she looked down at her paperwork, and she said, how many guns we got here? And she counted up. She said, oh, 24. She, and she did some figuring. I guess there's some formulas there. She said, I can give him 18 months for that. So she said, okay, 18 months. And I'm in shock, and Guy is in shock, and we're looking at each other like, what just happened? And so... Guy got his composure a little bit and, and kind of stumbled and said, uh, well, Your Honor, <laughs> could we at least say minimum security? She said, I don't have a problem with that. So we figured, well, I've, I've always heard the term club fed. People talk about people oh, playing yeah. golf and stuff like that. That's not really true. Yeah. But, they're, they're, but it's the very degrees, low. Yeah, yeah very low. The, the low degrees security. of security you know, are different. And so the, the closest. Uh, minimum security. I, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I want to stop you real quick, just because you're going to talk about your prison experience yeah. here. But but I I hope this lady knows the Lord. But if she doesn't, the ignorance of the law is no excuse for breaking the law. Someday she's going to stand before the ultimate judge. Mm. And if she doesn't know Christ, that is going to hit her like a ton of bricks. And she, I, I, I can suspect that maybe she would... That, that phrase that you just said right there is going to be running through her mind when she stands before God the Father as judge, and she's throwing herself at the mercy of him. And, and everyone needs to be thinking that way. And that just makes me, it just, my, my blood gets, is boiled when, when I hear that, when I'm saying, this is not why the judicial system was set up to go after someone like yourself. This is not what our founding fathers had in mind. And you have radical left-wing nut job judges like this lady here who thinks that she is the law when she has no idea what the Constitution was there for. The fact that guns are not the problem. It's the heart of men that are the problem. And that just burns me. If I may add, yeah. uh, my wife and I, Marlene, Stephen's wife, yeah. uh, one of our members from our Bible study, and one other person were in the gallery that day. That's it, five people. That one other person was a reporter from the Indianapolis Star. Oh, yeah, go figure. The next day, 
on page two of the Indianapolis Star, and I'm holding up a copy of it, is a major full full page story four uh, four column story. Yep. And the and the headline is Chaplin. Yep. Gets eighteen months in prison for illegal gun sales. Judas Priest. I mean, what what corrupt pieces of just you know? I just that that ticks me off to no end. And this is why we've got to have good men and women, godly men and women, rise to authority so that they can beat back the living daylights out of the the agencies like the ATF, the Fed, the DOJ. I mean, this is all federal. This is not state. I I don't have a problem with state and local. Uh, authorities. I have a problem with overreaching, overbearing federal authority. Yes. That's where the problem comes from. It's Washington. This is not Indiana. This is Washington. And you, unfortunately, got in their sights, and they abused their power with you and and wrecked wrecked your life for the last two years. And you've got an amazing, you know, kind of the second half of the story is even worse than the first half. But, yeah, John, you were going to say something. That's exactly. Yep. The worst is yet to come. The worst yeah. is yet to come. Yeah. So, okay, Club Fed. So, okay. Well, and just to speak to what you said a minute ago, um, I want to make sure everybody knows that as far as the judge goes, yeah. I have no malice toward her. I don't want, wish her any harm. I do wish that I hope that she gets to know you. I've already prayed for, I've already forgiven her. She didn't do anything that she feels she should apologize to me for. But in my heart, I needed to let go yeah. of any angst or anger That's because right. she was just doing, actually, in my opinion, what she was going to do anyway and that God allowed. And that was what I was going to say about But she was still wrong. Yeah, I mean, was like, wrong. she was still wrong. I'm not wrong. saying yeah. she was right. Yeah. But the only way I could come to terms with this shock of that, it wasn't that God let me down. I realized the answer to this was that when I said, God, if it's your, your, your will be done, God's will was that I go to prison. Now, I've been in ministry before. I've done other things. I've even been in prison ministry before a long time ago, but I've never been on that side of it. So I decided that the, the reason I'm going must be because God wants to use me in prison. And so the closest minimum security federal facility to Indianapolis is in Terre Haute. And I looked it up, and to look at it, it there's no fences. There's no barbed wire. It's just a building. It looks like an army barracks. You go, you check in at the desk. It's very, very low. I mean, no, no security probably, but that's where I thought I was going. But it, seemed, it took months before they bothered to get around to telling me, okay, you're going to go. And they sent me to Milan, Michigan. I pronounced it Milan because that's how it's spelled, but yeah. it's, they, they call it Milan. And uh, that particular prison it was built in 1933, so think Shawshank Redemption. Um, and that's the, of the, in all the prisons, all the federal prisons in the United States, there's only three that don't have air conditioning, and Milan's one of them. Oh, my goodness. And so it's, Old, falling apart. There's parts of the building that are literally condemned. Our quarantine area was one of the condemned areas. They opened it back up so because of COVID so they could put people in quarantine in there. They, it's really not even habitable. There's no that's, air. And that's great. Yeah. That's that's probably a little bit to do with uh, Michigan politics, too, because yeah. it's very, very corrupt. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer and, yeah. and yeah, that jeez. So anyway, the uh, moving the story along there, I was at peace that God was sending me on a mission. And uh, so John and I had, had uh, we before I left, we had already finished enough of our shows that we put together for Greater Than We Believe, and I edited enough to where that was going to run us through till August. I already had them set to, to, to premiere. 
And uh, John let an announcement be known that after the end of August that uh, the, the, we would be on a sabbatical. And that would explain to people why we're not doing fresh. Because every Tuesday morning, yeah, we had, every Tuesday morning, yeah. it was always a new one there. So, and in a lot of ways, I, I, won't, I don't lie, but sometimes I don't always tell you everything you don't need to know. And so to me, that was sabbatical. That was getting away. And that was a way to let people know that we're not going to be around without having to go in a lot of detail. Yeah. But, the, but well, I'm with you here today. And the reason we're filming is because we're going to go into that detail with our audience because I, don't, I wanted to get ahead of the curve and make sure people don't start pointing at John or his ministry or anything else and talk about and, and do rumors about this felon and a bunch of other bad guys and that they're trying to hide it. So instead of hiding it, we're standing in front of it. That's right. And, I, and the reason I'm doing that is because our ministry is about praising the Lord. And so my testimony is about praising the Lord. And that's, that's why I'm here today with you is to tell you the sad story so that I can tell you the great ending. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's good. So, um, I, my wife dropped me off in Milan, Michigan, June 13th of last year on a Monday, I self-surrendered and, um, that was an interesting experience to go through all that. They asked me if I'd had my COVID shot and I said, no. And so they said, we'll have to put you in, in, um, Quarantine. I said, okay, five days quarantine, which turned into 18 days in that building that was condemned with no air. And uh, Do you have people around you at all? Like what's quarantine? Quarantine, that, that building, upstairs we had 40 we had seat, we had beds for forty four people. And okay. it was so you were beds. it wasn't like solitary where no. you're like there are people around. Yeah. But each, just, each, the, we had cells. Yeah, and each cell had a bunk bed. Yeah, and it had a door that could be locked. And so and but then then they had a, a little area out there like a TV room area. But we were completely locked in. We couldn't even go to the chow hall. We had to have sack lunches brought to us. We couldn't leave the building. We were there twenty four seven. Stephen, were you were you retired at this at this point? Yeah, like, I retired you, at sixty two. You retired at yeah. sixty two, so yeah. you didn't lose your job out of this. Well, interesting. You should ask that. <laughs> I'm on Social Security. I, I just filed for it at sixty two. Okay, that's how I paid my mortgage and my other bills. Okay, and. Um, so I figured, well, my, my wife is taken care of while I'm gone until I found out she wasn't. Because guess what? If you are on Social Security and you go to prison, they take your Social Security away. Wow. Now, I'm not talking about welfare. I'm not talking about free money. I'm talking about my own money that I put yeah. in the system that they were paying back in my retirement. Yeah. So they just kept it. Uh, it's just and like now, the it, government to do that, yeah, isn't and, it? Right? And it's not like they were going to hold on to it till the end and then give me a big check. Yeah. It's just gone. So I was paying all that money a month, basically, for the privilege of being locked up. Wow. And uh, if I had been in for more than a year, then I would have lost it entirely, and I would have had to start the process over. They said, if you're out in less than a year, you can show them the papers, which I've done. And they basically just reinstituted what they had before. But Wow. So you're getting your Social Security now. Well, I haven't got it yet. Okay. But supposedly this month, the last <laughs> yeah, Wednesday good luck. this month, I'll get it. Yeah, well, we'll see about that one. I'm yeah. sure there'll be some other bureaucratic <laughs> nonsense that goes Don't on. Don't speak that, Mike. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I, yeah, I pray that it doesn't happen, but just knowing how corrupt our government is. So. Okay, so pick up... Now they're giving you sack lunches. Yeah. They're bringing that in. Extreme heat. Um, just not great. And let's put it this way. I've got a bit of a pot belly here. I'm not uh, happy with, but I was a lot fatter than this whenever I left. I was 277 pounds when I went in. And I lost 55 pounds there within the first couple months. Wow. Mm. Uh, most of it I sweat off. A lot of it because I couldn't couldn't eat. Or when I did eat, it there wasn't much of it. So there was a lot of reasons for that, but... 
emotionally, uh, it was it was heartrending. In fact, I had called my wife one day. Was, we were able to make calls, but I, I called her and I was just so stressed and I and I was new to this. I didn't I was I couldn't handle it. And I said, Marlene, I says I I don't think I can do this. And she said, Honey, you have to. I mean, so what else are you gonna do? And it's like, yeah, and I kept praying. I was praying constantly that God get get a technicality, get me out of here, you know, and and it wasn't happening. I was staying. And and it seemed like everything that could go wrong went wrong. After I was there for 18 days, they finally moved me to another unit, uh, which is ones where this is like a big long barracks area where you have the bunk beds, but it's like one big huge room and uh like a like hundred and something people in each wing. Well, I went into that unit and that very first day I went in there, um, my bunk mate, we call them cellies or cellmates, even though it's not a cell. Um, I sat down and talked to him for a while. We got to know each other real well. He was um, what I'd call an OG, an original gangster. He was from the south side of Chicago, and he'd been in a lot of trouble in his life, and he was hardcore. But he had a very uh, a softness about him. His name was Nunu. That's the, that's the nickname we gave him because uh, it, actually his mom gave him that nickname because this little kid, he's always asking questions. And so she, I don't know, I guess Nunu means questions or whatever it means. That's his name. But he was so gentle and 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 we were talking, and within a couple hours of talking, he just looked at me. He said, Stephen, he said, God always answers my prayers. And I looked at him. I was glad to hear him say that. But I said, well, why do you say that? He says, well, when I'm, and I got in the bed above him. He says, when my bunkmate left this morning, he said, I just, got, I just prayed to God, please bring me a man, a godly man that will help lift me up instead of pulling me down. Jeez. Wow. And he says, you're the answer to that. Prayer. You're like, quit praying. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> you're, you're like, like you're the reason. You're the reason I'm here. <laughs> but you know what? That ended up being, I was only there with them a month in that particular area. Yeah. But that, we started, it was a great relationship. I prayed with him. We talked about things. We cried together. He had some issues in his life going on that he had no control over. That at home, his family, that he was hurting for them. He was he was so frustrated. The system had let him down on several things, but that's his story. But we would have people walk by, and we'd be sitting there talking, and they'd hear us talk about Jesus or about the Lord or talk about things, and they'd kind of slow down as they went by. After a while, they'd just kind of stop and, and just kind of stick their ear over. And Pretty soon we had sometimes people just crowded around listening, and then when we're talking about God or Jesus or whatever, sometimes they'd chime in with a little something and, we got to where we were praying with other guys, and, and I was, you know, witnessing, and I felt like this is why God's got me here. Now I know what my ministry is because I'd already talked to the chaplain there when I went to uh, the chapel uh, for for one of the services, and he said he couldn't use me because I was an inmate. He says we don't use inmates here, so I said okay, fine. But we got to the point; everything was like a well-oiled machine. It was getting better every day, and. Um, all these guys that were stopping by, I started asking them. I said, there, somebody was saying, how about us have a Bible study? And I said, that's a great idea. And I, and, and I talked to Nunu about it. I said, but here's the deal. All the guys here that, that even claim to be Christian, most of them have got some sort of doctrinal thing they've been raised with. They, most of them have an idea about doctrine. I said, so if we have what I would call a Bible study, we're going to end up arguing more than we're going to do anything else. And I said, that's not going to do any good. One thing that we all had in common was that we liked, we wanted to tell our story and we wanted to tell what God had done in our lives. And so I said, let's just have where we get together and fellowship. Let's just call it fellowship. 
and we already had an area picked out where we could be off to the side where nobody went back. And we were going to start doing that. And in, in, after nine o'clock, after lights out, we could go, you could still move around. We were going to go back there and we were going to have prayer and fellowship back there and just basically brag on God and see what he's doing. And I'm like, pray for each other. There's a lot of people I prayed for in there. And, uh, so it was it was a done deal. We were going to start that coming weekend, you know, when everybody was planning. Of course, the very next morning, guard comes and wakes me up. <laughs> he says, get your stuff. We're getting you out of here. I said, where am I going? He's going back to the same E unit where I was before, where it was so hot. I said, why are they sending me there? I was already there once. He said, well, they never should have put you here to begin with because this is not the unit you're in. You're supposed to be in a different one. There's no bed for you over there. So we're just going to put you back in E until they get you a bed. And that was quarantine. Yes. And so after a while, they had so many people coming in, they decided just, let's just not call it quarantine anymore. We'll just make, even though it's condemned, yeah. they'd already shut it down. And they just started, This is we're just going to make a unit out of it. And that, it ended up being where I stayed the whole time I was there. Wow. And uh, so, and I was like, God, why am I going back where I just came from? You know, it kind of let me down, but... Within a, within a few hours of being in there, I was meeting other Christians and I was, I was meeting God, uh, godly men, and I started realizing that He's got me here on purpose. You know, mm-hmm. once again, I started. I, they, I, my beard is trimmed now, but the whole time I was there, the whole ten months I was there, I never, never trimmed it. So by the time I got out, I looked like a, a real gangster. You know, I, had this long, <laughs> I got pictures of that. But the longer well, I was well, didn't there, they didn't they nickname you Santa Claus? They called me Santa Claus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but I got to where people would look at me. Guys didn't even know me yet. Maybe people just come in, but they look at me and they 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 show me a little bit of respect. You know, just because I was an old guy. You know, yeah. and so, but I had people actually. I'd be sitting, and somebody would come up and pull up a chair and sit down next to me and just sit there. Okay, I'm I'm reading. You know, okay, that's fine. And then excuse me. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Can you tell me what happens after you die? Wow. Uh, Yeah, let's talk about it. By the way, how'd you pick me? Well, so-and-so said that you'd be the guy to talk to, you know? <laughs> so, wow. And I had so many different types of people, different types of questions. And and, and as when we could, I it almost always ended up with, with, with holding hands and praying because a lot of times it had to do with something going on in their life. And needed some so this sort of this is like a Joseph story. I mean, this is yeah. like, hey, it wasn't you guys who sold me into slavery. It was the Lord who put me here, Absolutely. and then that's yeah. how the you, Lord meant it for well. Yeah, yeah. So so, however, the it all went down. You yep. can see the hand of God yep. at work here. Yeah. You know, you said something else, Stephen. That I think I, I think that it connects to everybody's heart when they're going through tough stuff and they don't understand. Um. You 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 were processing forgiveness. Nobody's asking for forgiveness. It reminds me of what Jesus did on the cross. You know, nobody asked him for forgiveness, but he's saying, "Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing in their ignorance or whatever may be their issue." He's given them a graceful out to the wickedness that they're doing, but he's already forgiven them in their hearts, and he's praying that the Father would forgive him. You're like walking through this thing. Like Christ, this is like fellowship with his suffering. Well, thank you for saying that. I didn't think. I still think the judge was wrong. Though, yeah, well, so sure. well Pilate, Pilate was wrong, and everybody yeah. who who, yeah. who uh, participated yeah. in in I Jesus know, crucifixion. I know, was wrong. I know, I know. Is, like the the idea that you could 
I'm going to forgive these people. I have no malice towards these mm-hmm. people. That that kind of stuff. That man, that screams Jesus. Well, it was Jesus in my heart that did that. Yeah, and amen. I will say this too that. I don't want to give you the impression, a pie in the sky impression, that I just everything was great in prison. I'm, I'm sitting there fellowshipping and, and it's great. While I was there, I had a lot of health issues. I had spurs in my in this left foot where I where I couldn't walk, and and it was so painful, and nobody cared. And I kept trying to go to to the medical, and I couldn't get to the medical. I finally, got to the point where I went four days without eating. Couldn't go to Chow Hall. If you don't go to Chow Hall, you don't eat. And I went four days without food, and finally, and I kept trying to get somebody to help. I was writing up these what we call cop outs on on you on the prison true link system, and you type letters to the warden or anybody else to say I need help or whatever. And so finally, on a Friday, I had called my wife and told her that I hadn't eaten in four days, and, and that I was I couldn't walk, and all so I said I just I need a wheelchair, I need I need something, you know, so I can get over to medical. And uh, she called the prison and gave them heck, and. Uh, so hit on that real quick. You said that uh, when when I met with you a few weeks ago, you said that the the staff they just didn't care. You could it was there was nobody on staff that just it was you were treated pretty much kind of like the dogs that they they probably assumed you were. Is that is there, that kind of that's basically true? Yeah. There were in my mind, I could count on. Um, I think I can count three people in my head that acted like they really cared about their job and cared about the people in their care. And that's only one thing. And then most of the other guards just didn't carry the way. But then we also had, on the other hand, there were several, several people there, guards and lieutenants and other people's in position who had a great malice toward, they hated us. They hated, if you're there, you're there for a reason, so you must be a bad guy, and so we're going to make your life miserable. And they did that on purpose and mm-hmm. uh it was that was that was hard to deal with and so with between the medical issues and everything else like that i had other things i had gout and i had uh you know problems uh, the blood pressure issues and i had so many other things like that so i had a lot of health issues the whole time i was there but i just kept trying to kind of ignoring that looking i learned in my prayer you know in philippians chapter four it's talked about prayer and petition with thanksgiving let your petitions be known to the Lord. So I didn't pray and ask God fix things. I was trying to find things to be thankful for. Amen. And I found yeah. that helped me. Yeah, John wants to say something. Yeah. Go ahead. Also, he had no visitors. Yeah, that's right. Because I remember you said to me multiple times, because you would come up at, just so you know, Stephen, John and Cindy were coming up to me after services and saying, pray for Stephen. You know, I didn't even know you really. I mean, I knew who you were, but I pray for Stephen. We're trying to get in to see him. We like, and you guys fought for months to get up there to see him, and the 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 system wouldn't let you in. Well, we submitted paperwork. Yeah, you had to they send a form, and you had to fill it all out, and you send it up there. And uh, the first one never got through, never got through. So we sent a second one in, and the whole process was over four to five months after he, he got in there. That's government. For and you. and Marlene, his wife, was doing the same thing, and she wasn't getting any response back because it has to be approved and they have to let you know that it's approved so, so that you can be qualified yeah. to, to visit. And I, how long was it, Stephen, for we got to visit for it's a four months or five or what was About it? Four or four and a half, maybe five months. It was January 21st, which was my birthday and our anniversary before I got to see my wife. Wow. I'd self-surrendered on the 13th and it was all because 
they had actually approved her application, but we don't know when. It got on the bottom of a stack of papers that they forgot to put in the computer. <laughs> so after seven months, they... This is why government is I not good at doing anything. I kept complaining. Yeah. She kept complaining. Nobody could ever give her an answer. So finally, we went into the guy's office, my caseworker and I, and he started thumbing through a stack of about three-inch tall stack of papers on his on the desk behind him, and he found hers was the second from the bottom. Wow. When he pulled it out, he says, oh, ha, ha. I said, what are you laughing at? He says, she's been approved. I said, really? He said, yeah, they just might just forgot to put it in the system. Oh, my gosh. So things like that. They just don't care. Yeah. There's no respect. There's yeah. no, I mean, this this doesn't this make just your blood boil if you're listening to this? This is why, this is why government is not the answer to the problems. I'm here to help. Is I'm with the government. I'm here to help. I'm glad you said that at the beginning because this is really yeah. a great example of why government is just well. It make it, I mean, this story is a cautionary tale about how how a mistrust of government is in your best interest. Yeah, our founding fathers did not trust the government they were setting up, and so you know, I, I love your heart, Stephen. But yeah, your biggest mistakes were trusting the ATF, trusting yeah. the prosecutors, trusting the judge mm -hmm. that they would actually do the right thing. And yeah. and they might there might have been some good people in there, yeah. but collectively they did not do the right thing. But now go into well, John, yeah, you want to say something. Go into the next part. Is that what you're saying? The next part is, is the that's is, the, is the, the gut the part. gut the gut wrenching part. So Marlene finally got in to see you. Mm -hmm. Um and so that was great. But then yeah, take it take it from there. Well, this was January before she got to see me. But if you'll back up a little bit, in August, out of the blue, she had a horrible, horrible infection that got into her blood, and she kept falling out, fainting, uh, throwing up, sick as a dog. They'd go to the hospital. They couldn't find anything wrong. He kept thinking she had COVID because she couldn't breathe. And they said, well, she didn't have COVID. They'd send her home. She would do that three times before they finally realized she was dying because she had water on her heart and her lungs or fluids and her aorta valve was not working because it had been eaten up with this infection. That's what the heart doctor found that they life flighted her by helicopter to the heart hospital in Indianapolis. And they did open heart surgery and replaced her aorta valve. And they had to drain, I think it was 20 pounds of water off of her lungs and her heart. And then sure her kidneys had quit working. So she was on dialysis for a while, but she went through. And that's all while you're in prison. Yeah. That was in August. And so all this time, and she was in rehab, and it took her a while to learn to walk again and so forth and so on. How many years were you married? Uh, 18 years. In fact, that Saturday she came to see me. We were together 19 and a half years, but that was our anniversary, which is also my, and that was our 18th anniversary. So, uh, but she was getting better. But so I figured, well, God came through. He's my hero again. You know, he, he, she, she got close, but she's getting better all the time. And, but someone cautioned me, a very dear friend of mine cautioned me because I was having so much issues with, with, with dealing with things. She wrote me a letter, which I had the group read in our Bible study group, but she was saying how we're talking about fragile faith. And what happens is a Christian, without even knowing it or meaning to, a lot of times we'll pray to God and ask him to do something specific, and then we'll turn and in relatively close time, we'll see God answer that prayer, and that encourages us and makes us feel better about our prayer life and about our relationship with God, and it helps greatly. But it also gives us a tendency to judge. Our, our faith is kind of based on what we see God doing. we got to see results for our prayers, which is a mistake because sometimes God purposefully puts things off. He's got a reason for it. 
So she was telling me, you got to quit looking at, at the problem and quit looking for the solution. She says, just keep your eyes on God. Just, just concentrate on him no matter what's going on. Just concentrate on him and not, not the circumstances, which really changed my prayer life and changed my, to the point to where no matter, no matter how much pain I was in or whatever was going on, People wondered, well, what are you so happy about? I'm not happy. I'm in pain, you know, but I just was concentrating on Jesus. And my heart, I could not believe how much it changed. When they first had this heart thing and everything, I was aware of that. I was, I was a basket case. And I called my brother-in-law the next day after her surgery, and uh, I had just had that letter and I that real, real prayer that night. And uh I, had, I woke up, had a good night's sleep, and I woke up, and I just had a whole different attitude. And so I called him, and I said, how's Marlene doing? And he said, um, well, and it was a pause. He said, we lost her a couple times yesterday, but we got her back. You know, the, yeah. the heart palace. Wow. And I says, well, how is she now? He says, well, she's okay now. I said, okay, good. And as soon as I finished saying that, it dawned on me that I didn't go look crazy, you know, when he said that, she died a couple times yesterday. You know, I just realized I'm fine. It's not that I don't care, but, you know, God's got this. And I had this peace about me and a trust that I'd never experienced before. And that became a hallmark of how I looked at everything from that point forward. So as she's going through recovery and as time went on, I, I stood tall because I was, I was actively praying and that God gave me. He literally, I could feel that, that comfort in my heart. Peace that passes understanding. Philippians chapter 4, beyond all understanding. So the January 21st, she got to come see me. She lost a bunch of weight because of all her stuff. Uh, she was a sight for sore eyes. As she was walking around the corner toward me, there was the, the window was behind her, and the light was coming in, and so she was literally oh, bathed cool. in a glow. Wow. She looked almost like a big halo around her. And I just saw her, and I just, I didn't cry, but I wanted to. She was, it just, she was my 61-year-old old woman wife was my, <laughs> my beautiful young lady there, you know. And wow. we had a really great three hours, and I was able to see her three times. And the reason I'm saying three times is because as things were getting better, and I was actually going to get out to halfway house pretty quick. We'd already made arrangements. She was going to pick me up on April 13th. And I was going to go to Halfway House, and they were supposed to send me home on April 16th from there to do the rest of my time with an ankle monitor on my leg and just finish out there at home. March 19th, I got a phone call. Uh, I actually had been calling, and she was sick again. She was kept getting infections all the time, uh, urinary tract infections. They would fight that, and she just was always tired. She was always sick, never could seem to get better. And uh, I found out from my son that or her son, it's my stepson, that she was in the hospital in a coma and they didn't think she was going to live. Wow. And I, I, I didn't know how to react. I said, what are you talking about? You know? And so he was crying. He couldn't, he couldn't talk. So they're in the ICU unit. There's a whole bunch of doctors and nurses in there. There's some other family members. And he handed the, the phone. Actually, he said, I'm going to put you on speakerphone. You need to talk to her and see if you can bring her out of it. You know, because even in a coma, maybe she'll yeah. put me on speaker and put me down the phone down by her ear. And I was begging her to fight, come back to me. I needed you, you know, and just anything I could think of to say. And I kept, I didn't know how to deal with that. And then the nurse finally came on a little, a little bit after that. And she says, well, we don't, here's, she had sepsis. 
It set in. Her oh, body was shutting down, fighting itself. Her hand had already turned black, like it was rotting off. Oh, wow. Her her kidneys quit. Her her liver quit. Oh, it was eating itself up. She had the pores, and her face were starting to ooze, and, and she was literally rotting right in front of them. And and they said we don't expect her to live. And then when I got off the phone with Philip, I found out later in twenty twenty hindsight. He said she's her heart stopped. They're doing CPR, so I hung up. I says I'll get back in touch. That's when I went to talk to the chaplain there at the prison. Well, at that point, they never could get her back. So that's when she died. So this was just a few weeks before I was supposed to. That was March nineteenth, and I was supposed. She was supposed to pick me up April thirteenth. So it's like so close and yet Mm. so far. And I was. At that point, all I could think about was getting home to take care of my, my wife, my girl, you know. And uh, so I thought maybe compassionate release or a furlough or something. Well, they said, first of all, compassionate release won't work because if I'm dying, then I can go home by compassionate release and die there. But if my family is dying or dies, I can't go home for that. I can go home for the funeral, but someone else has got to set it up, and then they'll let me out just long enough to go to the funeral and come right back. And I says, they can't do a funeral. I'm the guy that's got to do the funeral. I'm the only one. I mean, so it was very, very frustrating. And so I, my caseworker had a little compassion on me. And even though he didn't have the, the, the wherewithal or the right to change anything or get me out early, he did call the halfway house because he's the one that set that date. And he says, can I get him in early? And he told them what was going on. And they said, mm. yeah. So this was the... 21st, Tuesday the 21st is when he called me into his office and said, I'm, I'm sending you home. Mar- March 21st? Yeah, March okay. 21st. And so the next Tuesday, which was the 28th, is, is when her son Philip came and picked me up. The plan was you'll go straight to the halfway house. You'll check in just long enough to tell them who you are because they're supposed to know about you already. They're going to put an ankle monitor on you and send you home, and you take care of what you know how to take care of. So I went to Indianapolis, three-and-a-half-hour drive, went home first we went and got her her urn and her ashes at the at the funeral home which i found out i could have gotten in trouble for that because that's not part of our route but uh went home went to the halfway house didn't have anything with me because i was just going to check in and give them paperwork and they didn't know anything about it and they says you're not you're not (laughs) you're going to stay here you got to put in a few days we got um, orientation. We got classes you got to take we got do home inspection there's a lot of things they got to do before so I figured, okay, this is a Tuesday. I'm going to probably be here till Friday. And seven weeks later, Jeez. with the help of Senator Mike Braun's office, they finally got their act together and said, we've got to let him go. Oh, my goodness. So, so it took just, a U.S. senator to say, figure your crap out, government, and yeah. let this guy out. So this last Saturday, which was June 3rd, right? June 3rd? Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We, we just had the celebration of life for her just this wow. last Saturday. Wow. And so I'm, I'm still reeling from that, but the, the, the point of the story for me and the happy ending for me is, is this, is that this is the kind of stuff that would have, that could have completely just decimated me. I could have been completely worthless after this and I could have been mad at God. I've known people get mad at God, but because of the fact that God's, he is faithful and God's spirit does, he is real, and he does dwell within us. And if we just will allow him to, he can. it's amazing what God can do for you if we'll just open up and let him do it. And you have to surrender, though. And I've, I've been real bad about always wanting to be in charge of my life. I've, I've always been a control freak. 
And that's just my nature. And I think that's one of the reasons God, among others, that God wanted me in prison was to teach me that you can't always be in control. And I had to get to the point where I had absolutely no control in my life at all over anything, where I use the bathroom, what I eat, when I eat, what I wear. Everything was done for me or told me what I was going to do. I couldn't make any decisions for myself and had to be separated from my wife and everything just to learn to, to just rest in him and just allow mm-hmm. him to give me the strength that it takes to deal with this and then find the, find the silver linings, find the people I can pray with, find the people I can, and I can have relationships with. And there's so many, there's, there's too many small stories for time for that, but there were so many men there that were blessed and I was blessed by them too. Me being able to pray with someone else that had a problem and for them to have tears coming out of their eyes and say, thank you. I needed that. Or I had several people that told me you're an answer to prayer. That helped me. That helped me yeah. to realize that God's got me here on purpose. This isn't a mistake. It's not. Yeah. The, so I'm not. I'm not real happy. I had to go through that. I'm really sad that I had to lose my wife over it. But when it's all said and done, I know God's got a purpose. I don't know what it is yet for sure, but I know that He's got. He's going to use this somehow for for His glory. And for some good, and whether it's hopefully the good is to shut down the ATF. Well, that's one thing I'd <laughs> yeah. like to see happen. I know, right? But you know, if we if we have problems with our laws, the thing is, God lets the, our authority lets the lets the government be there. He allows that. But we, as in the United States, we have rights to to vote, and our right to vote gets us the. We can vote our conscience. We can vote our religion. We can do, even though people say this isn't a theocracy. I know it's not a theocracy, but you get godly men in office yeah. who have godly principles and they stand by them and they're not going to, you get enough of those people in there. Then all of a sudden people say, do you want to, you want to make it okay to kill babies or not? Well, if I have a choice, I'd rather not kill babies. You know, now people are going to hate that. Half of them are going to say no, but I want to have a voice in that. And so when it comes to prison reform or anything else like that, if Pumpkin says, do you, do you really think we got a problem? I said, yeah, I can tell you a lot of problems in the system. I can tell you from the inside. Yeah. And if I, my story can help make legislation and change some things that really really need changing, well, then I'll say, God, thank you for that. It gives me a chance to feel like it was worthwhile. Well, it's it's using your pain, you know, that, that there's all, that, that God never wastes your pain. Yeah. Right? And that, and that even in my pain, I can minister to others who are in pain. And what do you know? God's doing a healing work in me as a result of reaching out to somebody else's need. Yep. You know, if you wouldn't have been able to do ministry, imagine imagine you didn't have that sense of purpose. You didn't have the Lord to yep. go through this misery. Yep. You know, where, where's where's the hope? Where's the the lifting of, you know, every, every tear that falls down these people's faces, you realize, I have a purpose I'm not I'm not devoid of being able to do what God's called me to do even here and he hasn't abandoned me you know but there how, how many places does the average Christian get into that they think to themselves when they're going through suffering mm-hmm. that that this is not necessarily where God God doesn't want me to be uh, to, to suffer I remember this one woman she divorced her her husband and and she she looked at me in a grocery store and she says, you know, I'm God's baby girl. He she he doesn't want me to suffer. And I'm thinking, that's not where did you get that from? <laughs> right? It's not that you're not his 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 son or his daughter. He loves you. But that 
that doesn't mean that you're not going to go through suffering, especially when Jesus said that you would go through suffering. Stephen, I gotta say, man, there's just so many aspects of what you're saying. You're like, you modeled Christ there, you modeled Christ there, you modeled Christ there, and and you didn't even know you were capable of all of that. I wasn't until you're thrown into the scenario where you have to do it. It's and, all God. It's all God, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I just hear the glory of God. It's like John chapter nine. Yeah. Why is this man born blind? Is he born blind because of his sin or his parents' mm-hmm. sin? No, n- neither of those. Th- those things Jesus says, but but so that my glory might be revealed. Absolutely, yeah. That is probably, if not the most powerful testimony I've heard in a very long time. And John, you've been in here. I mean, you were a very faithful friend to Stephen. I saw it firsthand. You were he was constantly on your mind. You were praying for him. You know, you you probably more did more than you realize how much yes. th- i mean steven's heart you know to uh, not just me but my wife yeah and cindy uh, yep yes. you and cindy both in fact it was my wife that was enabled to contact senator braun's office and and to get them on the case and to your point Stephen, about godly men and women well cindy was a legislator godly woman in the state legislature for many years kind of knew the system because of that and was able to reach out to Mike, who I'm sure she has a relationship with, and and was able to say, Mike, you know, hey, we've got you know Senator Braun, and we have this you know problem here, and so again, that's the the good consequences of godly people who, who can see through the lens of Christ and say, this isn't right. There's an injustice here, and yeah, yeah. we call that our nuclear option. You to call Mike Braun when, when when he was getting stonewalled, yeah, in the halfway house, and, yeah, and, and and instead of two hours turned into two, three days. Three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks. That's when we pull the plug and said, okay, we're doing the nuclear option because we were concerned yeah. that we, we would just get him in more trouble. Yeah. You know. Yeah, no, that's good. Well, but I don't want other people to have to know somebody. That's the reason why I want to do, if I can do anything to help, I don't want the system to be set up where you got to know somebody. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. You should be able to get your justice just, without having the right exactly. friends in the right places. Amen yeah. to that. Yeah. yeah. That's, and that is a hundred percent. The problem with our system is those who know somebody or can easily be above the law. And, and if you don't know the right people, then you're going to get squashed by a tyrannical government. Like, but to, to your point, and I agree with Nathan, it's amazing to watch God use you through this, I mean, through this, he's going to continue to use you. It's a Job story. It's a, it's a Joseph story. I mean, it really is an amazing story. And I'm so sorry for your loss. Uh, Thank you. I, I know that Marlene is with the Lord now. She is, she is yes. in perfect peace. And I mean, she wouldn't come back, even though I know no, she loves I you. I want her back here now. I know she I loves know you, she but yes. she's not coming back even no. if you could pay her to. I'm so. happy for her. <laughs> but, you know, and I'm just excited, Stephen, to see where the Lord takes us. This is, you're going to have a really powerful impact in our society and our culture going forward. I know it because of what you've gone through. You've got a testimony that's going to resonate with a lot of people who say we have to change how the current system of justice is, is working in our system, especially on the federal level. It is just so, so corrupt. So yeah, John. At the memorial service, when Stephen spoke, he, sp- he's, he, he said, don't feel sorry for me. Or for Marlene because she has graduated. That, yeah. That's good. Man. That's she good. Is, she is not the deceased. Yeah, she is she's, alive. She's alive. Even God more is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. She has graduated. And don't we celebrate graduations? Yeah, we do. that's right. That's right. You had a gradu- you year. had a graduation ceremony. Well, yeah. guess what? The big graduation is. It's the it's the 
the the going into the presence of of the Lord in glory. So, I only yeah. want one thing in life. I just want to finish well. Amen. I want to do whatever God's got in mind for me. I want to be His servant. Yeah. Uh, I don't believe that you're saved by what you do. I'm already saved. But I want to do things. I want to do what I can for my Lord because yeah. I love him. And I like the idea of building up treasures in heaven. Yeah. But all I really want to do when the time comes, he takes me home. I want to stand before him and hear those words. Well done, good and faithful. Good that. So where can people find out uh, more about you guys? So, uh, the name of your, uh, your YouTube channel and podcast again is? If they go to YouTube. And yep. just in the search bar, type in greater than we believe. It'll pop up. And we've got 189 videos posted already. And we're going to start again. This this will be part of our introduction back into Great. the mix again. So. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Well, Stephen and John, thank you so much for Great being. Yes, yeah, so thank good. What a, power, what a powerful story. So, well, Nathan, that's uh, that, <laughs> you're kind of like just in awe. You know, I don't know about you, but you're just sitting there saying, man, God is good. Yes, yeah. I mean that's that is uh, if you're going through anything, if you're struggling, and hopefully this this podcast really blessed you. And if if Stephen can go through that and come out on the other side with a, a stronger faith and knowing that God was with him, then whatever any one of us are going through right now, I think this yeah. is going to be an encouragement. And I think that you have to remember that when you are going through suffering, when you when you are walking through or drinking a cup that you don't want to drink. And you say, you know, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. You just have to remember that Jesus went through these things too. He knows exactly how you feel. You're, you know, it's it's not like God cannot, um, that that his his heart doesn't reach out to you. Of all the people in the whole world who have experienced the greatest injustice, there is no more unjust story than the killing of Jesus. That's right. Right? So, when you experience this, you can be angry. You could, you could do that. That's a, you know, that, that might be the response you pick. Or you could say, but Lord, I know that you overcame this. You showed me how to walk through this. You know exactly how I feel. And I'm, and I'm just going to trust that you're going to be with me in this. You're, 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 you can give over to bitterness or you can hold on to God. And God can take you through the mess, and He'll make you better. Yes. He'll bring you out on the other side. Amen. And you and you'll understand that there is a a beauty God gives that comes from the ashes. You know, we, we I used to sing that song when I was a kid. He gave me beauty for ashes, and the oil of joy for my mourning, and the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness, that we might be trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. Amen. Amen. Well, hopefully this blessed you and encouraged you and spurred you on to run with perseverance the race that is set before us. And and uh, we know there's coming a day where we will graduate and we will see the glory of Christ manifest. And, Amen. And, and you're going to be reunited with your beautiful wife. And... Uh, be encouraged today. This has been Jesus, Sex, and Politics, and I'm Micah. I'm Nathan. What? This music has got me. <laughs> well, I, we can't go out the way that we normally do because this is just—it so, was so powerful right. of an episode. I was like, "Hey, God bless you guys listening we, out there. We love you. Tell people about the show and uh, and uh, be inspired today by this incredible story. We'll catch you next time.